0: Heard a story one time about a young girl who was writing a letter to a missionary And it was a prayer letter and she was just trying to lend support to this missionary that was out there that the church had been talking about But evidently before she wrote the letter, she said not to expect an answer because the You know, missionaries are really busy And so the missionary got a little bit of a kick out of the letter when he read it. It read this way Dear Mr. Missionary, we are praying for you, but we are not expecting an answer I think it's hilarious. Much funnier that to me than it is to you guys, apparently. But, but the reality is, it summarizes, unfortunately, I think, a lot of the prayer lives of most of the Christians that I know. We do a lot of praying, I think. We do. But I don't know if we do a lot of expecting in our prayer lives. And I start wondering, why is that? I, I mean, what is it that we're missing why is it that we pray in the first place if we didn't expect him to answer? And really, that's what I want to take a look at this morning, because I think it's a big deal, and we're just missing out and tapping in one of the most powerful entities in the entire universe, God, a God who loves us, a God who's invested in us, a God who cares about us. So that's what I want to take a look at, because I think this happens really during this time of year a lot, I really do. Christmas has always been a season of giving, a season of hope, a season of miracles, And it's not just Christians who believe this. You see it even in our secular culture today. Even in our secular culture today, Christmas is a time of being nicer to other people. It's a time for generous giving. It's a time to maybe even reconcile some relationships that just are a little bit broken from the past. I kind of equate it to going to Texas. I served in Texas for a few years. I don't know if you've ever been on a trip and gone to Texas, but they're just nicer in Texas. I mean, the people are. I don't know, except for you guys. You guys could live in Texas, but I was just there for a season for seven years, and and it was just weird. I grew up here. I I spent a lot of time in LA, which they're like the opposite of that niceness, right? I mean, they're just more cold, and they're, I mean, it's very driven, and they don't talk a whole lot to strangers and stuff, but in Texas, they'll open doors for you, and if it's really busy, they'll let your car go in, and it really freaked me out for a while when i first got there i said why are people so nice but i think it gives us a glimpse of that every time christmas rolls around except maybe black friday that's maybe not a bad day but but the reality is i think it gives us a glimpse people do tend to be a little bit nicer this time of year at least we grew up with that experience and i know it's fading a little bit in our culture today but it's still true people are a lot more generous this time of year even studies suggest that even today And so we get a glimpse of something better. We get a glimpse of something different than the day-to-day rest. Even the politicians have stopped their horrible rhetoric for just a little bit of a time here. It's just different. And I think that makes an impact on our culture. It's just so different from the rest of the year. And it builds up to being a time that, amazingly, people look more to God, where they pray more, where they may even dare to hope just a little bit more. Why? because they're encouraged by what they see happening around them it's just so different it's so wonderful and it leads to a time that they give god maybe just one more chance in their life and so i guess because of that i think it's important to understand how prayer works because i think it's a big deal for us as christians to communicate to tap into have a relationship with our father and so i'm going to say this with all seriousness It is wonderfully true that prayer is not a vending machine where we ask and we get exactly what we want. I say it's wonderfully true because we're not always the best judges of what it is that we need in our life. Can I get an amen to that by anybody? Amen, right? I mean, you don't have to live very long in life to recognize that you're not always the best judge of what's best for you. Much like a child asking for this or that, sometimes, as a result, a parent has to say no. And sometimes God does too. And I think that's a hard reality for a lot of us to grasp hold of and a hard reality for us to deal with especially during very trying times times that we're going to god because we need something now but both our parents if they were good and god because he is good do it because he loves us because he's working all things for our good because he can see into the future because he knows exactly the way we're made up because he knows what it is that we need and so I start thinking about this and start thinking about it in context with prayer. And, and, and I start wondering, what are the attitudes that we need to approach God in prayer then? I mean, what is it that we can expect? What is it that we should be able to pray for? What can we hope for this Christmas? And, and to really kind of dig into that, I want to look at some different attitudes that Scripture gives us on going to our Father. And one of the first ones is this. We must be willing to let God answer in his own time. It's a big one. means according to his schedule and what means according to his timetable not according to ours in other words whenever God thinks is best and why is that a big deal because we don't like trusting that God knows the best time we like to think that we know the best time we want it now but we trust him because God's ways are always the best ways they're always the right ways in fact God's delays oftentimes answers to prayers specifically for this reason so that he can give us the best and not just the good so he doesn't answer everything immediately why I think it's a, a great question that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people have struggled with over the ages and fact I think that's the reason that Zacharias this guy in the Bible was so skeptical. Zacharias is a story that it's told just shortly after Jesus' or shortly before Jesus' birth in Luke Zacharias was a priest to God and one of the things that, that the priests did in all of Israel is there were so many of them that they took a month each tribe took a month and sent their priests or not i mean The tribe of Levi took, separated it all up and sent some guys each month from the different clans to go and serve in the temple. And this was their month. They were all excited about it. And then they kind of drew lots to see which one would go in and do the big stuff, you know, in the temple. And Zechariah got picked. In In the scriptures, as you go through, he was an incredible man of God. It says he was righteous before God and before people. It was talked about the same way about his wife Elizabeth. Elizabeth was related to Mary. Mary's a big figure in the New Testament, right? Mother of Jesus. And so they were serving before the Lord, and he goes in there, and it says that an angel of the Lord met with him. So just think about that. You're all geeked up because it's your time of year. You're going into the temple. I mean, this is the big deal. And all of a sudden, you go in, and you're worshiping. You're doing incense, and an angel appears to you. And the angel comes and says, God sent me here. I am Gabriel, the archangel, and you're going to have your prayers answered. And Zechariah says something very kind of curious afterwards. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm the ultimate skeptic, right? And I'm just trying to picture this in my mind. This is a godly man. This is a guy who loves the Lord. His family loves the Lord. They've been with the Lord a long time. They're serving in the temple. I mean, this is a big deal. He's serving incense. An angel, see, that would do it for me. An angel of God appears before me out of nowhere. And he's still skeptical about what the guy's saying. And you start wondering how in the world is this guy so skeptical? And the answer to that is because he stopped praying this prayer a lot of years before. If you read the passage casually, it looks like he went into the temple, he prayed, an angel came and said, your prayers are being answered. But the fact of the matter is, they had given up on this prayer years earlier. Zacharias was an old guy at this time, and his wife was, well, long in years. And he says, we, we gave up on this prayer a long time ago to have a kid, Lord. And now you're telling us we're going to have one. It's just... I don't know, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's, a, it's tough to believe, it's tough to trust, even though an angel is standing before me. Fact is, is that God answers our prayers immediately a lot of times. But sometimes there's a delay in the giving of the answer. He hears it immediately, he hears it instantly, but sometimes he delays giving the answer for a period of time. And I think that's one of the hardest things that we have to deal with. It's hard for me in my 20s, right? I wanted to get married, right? But, you know, I've shared this before. It was a tough season for me. I was dumped. I was dumped. I was dumped, 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 right? And it was hard. And I'd meet a girl. I think she was the one. And then it would end. And I'd think, God, what are you doing? Why can't I just meet the right girl? Why is this so hard? I don't understand. But God was delaying it until I was 30 years old or 28 or whatever it was when I met my wife. And And he knew what he was doing. My wife is perfectly geared for me. I I am a weird dude. I don't know if you guys picked that up, right? And she just takes that weirdness and she makes it work and it's awesome. And every one of you are weird in your own right, right? And we all got our different dances, especially in marriage. But when you find that right person that fits, it's cool. And you know that it's different. And God just knew what he was doing. But that waiting period's hard, isn't it? And it just doesn't have to be waiting for a relationship. It could be waiting in the midst of a medical situation where you're, you're freaking out because of what the doctors are telling you. You're wondering if there's going to be healing or if you're going to go be with Jesus soon. It could be in reconciling a relationship that's broken. It can be as you're doing a job search and wondering when that's finally going to come through, or come through. and you're just waiting and you're freaking out and you're just, why are you waiting, God? And so why does God do that? And the answer usually is to prepare us first, to get us ready. For example, my littlest one comes to me and she says, Dad, I'd like to drive the car today. She's not 10 years old yet. And I'd say, well, not today, honey. Uh, the reality is, is you're just not ready. You're not old enough. You can't see over the steering wheel. You don't know how to drive. I mean, all these things are factors, and so probably not today. But one day, I promise you, you will get to drive you know, your mom's car. And, 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 and I promise you that can happen. But you're just not ready today. You're not ready yet. And so God delays our prayer similarly many times because he's still waiting for us to grow up. And I'll just use my own example again. During my 20s, God was really doing stuff in my heart. He was growing me as a a man of God. He was growing me in leadership. He was growing me in in maturity and confidence and all sorts of things that not only my wife needed, but the eventual churches that I would serve would need as well. And I don't know about you, but if you can look back to those waiting times, lots of times you can see in very clear ways what God was doing in the in-between. The fact of the matter is, is that God is way more interested in making you mature and bringing you closer to him so that you can be with him in heaven one day than he is in making your life easy. And I know what I just said is hard. And so he starts by saying, first, let's get your life changed up a little bit. I'll help you work on your problems. And then we'll get to the answer to that prayer. Instead of going out and saying, Lord, change the situation, maybe then we should start by saying, Lord, change me. Lord, change me in my marriage and not my spouse. That's a hard one, isn't it? We love blaming our spouses, but to look at us first, to fix ourselves first. There's actually a whole psychology around getting healthy first, making changes first. Then your spouse is so amazed by that, marveled by that, that they begin to change as well. It's one of the healthiest ways to go through a change process in your relationship, in your marriage. How about this one? Lord, change me in my job problem, not my boss or not my coworker. Man, And we live in a culture that loves to play the victim. We love to blame everybody else for our misfortune, for our frustration, for our whatever. But God says, no, 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 no. Let's start with you first. And once we're in line, then God can go ahead and answer. For the reality is that God is never late his timing is perfect. We think he's late lots of times, but he's never late. God's delays are not his denials. His not yets do not mean no, but it does mean being willing to let God answer in his own time. And that's an important thing for us to understand in prayer. I think if we look at our parents, we can understand that similar thing, but but that's the way God works. He's not a vending machine. He's a father. Another attitude the scripture gives us is this. We must be willing to let God answer in his own way. We don't like that one either, but it's not only whenever he thinks, but it's however he thinks is best. Why? Because God's ways are the best ways. They're usually bigger when he answers. The Bible says this in Isaiah. My ways are not your ways. And we could give an amen to that too, because lots of times we pray for stuff and it just doesn't happen the way we think. But God says, it's because I love you. It's because I've got something better for you. And if I say no or if I delay something, it's because there's something better yet to come. My ways are higher, God says. And the reason God so often delays an answer to prayer is so that he can bring it in a way that's bigger than what we first thought originally. So what would have happened in this story if God would have given Elizabeth and Zacharias this baby right away? Well, they would have gotten a... Jewish baby, and it would have been wonderful, and they would have loved him or her, and they would have cherished the baby, and it would have been great. But because God delayed the request by several years, the timing was perfect, right? And when he answered, he gave him a John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus Christ, the last Old Testament prophet, the only prophet able to see the prophecies of Jesus fulfilled, the forerunner of the Messiah, and get this, the one who got to introduce Jesus to the world. Because God delayed the request, he didn't just give him a baby, he gave him a John the Baptist. And God used that guy in powerful ways. I think our problem is is we ask too little and we want it too quick. Instead of letting God work in his timing, his way to do something big, we don't dream big enough. We don't pray big enough. We don't think big enough. We aim too low in Ephesians 3.20, it says, but God is able to do even exceedingly above what you are able to think or imagine. So think of the greatest thing that you can imagine and know that God can do something greater than that. So God says, let me answer in my own time and in my own way. And you're praying about the situation and all of a sudden it doesn't work out. God says, don't worry about it. I've got plan B. Actually, it was plan A. Yours was plan B, right? But he says, I've got it covered. Let him answer it in his own time, in his own way. Sometimes the worst thing for us to get is to get the answers to the things that we're ushering up to God. I think of Garth Brooks' old song, right? I want to thank God for what? For unanswered prayers. I look at my life. There's a lot of prayers I'm glad God said no to. And if you're honest and you look back at your life, there's a lot of prayers you're glad he said no to, too. He gives us this last one, and I think it's an important one. You must be willing to let God answer in his own power and in his own ability. In other words, don't limit God to what you can do. And don't try to help out God so much. Don't ask for it and try to work on it all by yourself, right? Let God answer in his own power. That's, by the way, called a miracle. And it's hard for us to trust in those miracles. It's hard for us to try not to help God out the entire time. But God says, let me do it on my own power. And there's an important truth to the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and that's that God often waits until the situation is humanly impossible before he answers. And so when did God give Elizabeth and Zachariah a baby? When they were beyond childbearing years. Zacharias was even hard to believe, right? I mean, he couldn't quite grasp the thing because he was too old. They were physically unable to have kids. And then God finally answered. Why? Because when God answers an impossible situation, who gets the credit? God does. And why does he want the credit? Because when God gets the glory, people put their faith in that God. And when they get connected with that God, he can take them to heaven. And God wants more and more and more of us in heaven. I'll give you some examples of that. Just in, the, in within this church over the last few years, uh, this one's the oldest one. When we built that building over there, and for all of you guys that are on the building committee, it was an arduous and painful process. We started looking to build that building, and, and what we were told by the city over and over and over again is that we couldn't lay a brick on the site unless we fixed 31st Street, which I guess is that way, right? And, and the reality is we were even took four or five guys to the city. We had a meeting with the city guys, and they told us the same thing, and so we started looking for sites to, to move to. We we Even put bids on two different sites in our community, or actually one different site in our community two times, and we were told no, both times, God shut the door. And when the building committee came back after that second time of being turned down, we were pretty frustrated. We didn't know exactly what to do. I guess we'll keep looking, we said. We guess we didn't I mean maybe we'll build a parking lot, right I mean it, but during that intermission, God brought us somebody to our congregation that actually worked for the city, knew the ins and outs, all the different rules, and all of a sudden what was impossible became possible, and we were able to build a building. It was extraordinary, and it's amazing that that thing's even there. I'll give you another one that's more recent. actually happened this week. The Edges had a little baby girl, and that's exciting for every reason, right? But they tried for a lot of years to have kids. And we're not unable. They've adopted three foster kids. They thought it was not going to be a possibility. God opens up this amazing thing. I'll give you another one. There's a guy in our, our church that has a wheelchair. And he got a brand new wheelchair from someplace, right? And, and it works awesome, but he can't get it here. In fact, he, he drove it here from his house. It was like five miles away. He drove it here one day because it's such a good wheelchair. And he says, I don't think I could do that again. There's a lot of potholes and stuff. So he needed a lift. And he put it in our prayer list. I I don't know if you've seen it, but we've been praying about it. God provided the funding for that wheelchair. I don't know if you were at the Congregational Town Hall in the fall. And at that Congregational Town Hall, I asked you guys to to put in your prayers. But I'm really challenging you guys to trust God for two things this next year. One is to build, to add on to our site, right? But the other was to bring on Pastor John for a year. And I shared at the very beginning, I said, we don't have money to do this. I mean, we have money in savings that we can tap into. But, but I really want us to take this face step because I believe that God has purpose for this. And so the congregation said, yeah, let's try it. And, and just recently we passed it in the congregational budget and everything. And, and I want you to know that uh, this week we'll be getting a check that will fund his whole, whole salary. God can, $45,000 check, that can fund his whole salary for the year. What I'm telling you is that God is able when we put these, these things in front of him and say, God, we want to trust you with this, we feel like you're leading us in this direction, God can make possible what is impossible in our eyes. We so often limit what God can do to ourselves. And what I'm calling you to do is to think bigger, to trust bigger, to ask for more, and to see what he's gonna do. I mean, understanding his timing, understanding his purpose, understanding his way, all of that's important. But I also want to tell you this, And give you this warning. If you start praying about something particularly a problem, don't be surprised if it gets worse before it gets better. The building committee can tell you that amen to that. There's a beautiful story in the Bible that illustrates this too, though. It's the story of Mary and Martha. They were sisters, and they had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus got sick one time, and so Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come for their brother to be healed. He was in really bad shape. He was going to die. They sent a message, come quick. It's an emergency situation. We need you right now. Our brother is sick, and they were frantic. I think a lot of times we pray that way too, don't we? God, you've got to do something now. It's urgent. Do it now. But nothing happens. In the story about Mary and Martha, we see that Jesus intentionally delayed coming. He was just a few miles away. Think 5K, think 10K. I don't know how fast you do it, but it's not four days, right? Right? He was just a few miles away from their home and it took him three days to get there. You look at it from the outsider's point of view and you start thinking, looks like Jesus is kind of callous. I mean, it looks like he doesn't care. I mean, why isn't he going? He's healed so many different people. It looked like he just was impervious to the situation. He waits three whole days. And then after three days, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, let's go to Lazarus' house. Even his disciples were kind of dumbfounded at this. I think it's probably too late, Lord. By the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has died. And Mary and Martha come running out and both are saying the same thing. Jesus, where have you been? Where have you been? If you'd been here when we called you, this wouldn't have happened. It happened four days ago. Where have you been? You delayed in our brother's dead, the rebuking the Lord. But you know, what? I think we do the same thing. We say, why God? Why are you doing this? And by the way, it's never God doing evil. It's Satan. It's the world. It's, it's original sin. It's never him doing it. But we get confused and we say, what are you doing? You haven't answered. I'm still frustrated. It's still lousy. And Jesus just looks calmly at them and he says, Mary, Martha, if you'll just believe, you'll see the glory of God. You'll see a miracle. So he walks up through the cave because they were buried in caves back in the day and they open, roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come on out, come forth. And he does. He does. Jesus waited until the situation was humanly impossible, and then he came and he answered. He did it in his own power. He did it so that he might be, receive the glory, so that people would put their faith in him, so that they might be saved. You think Palm Sunday, do you know why there were so many people that were excited? Because he had just raised Lazarus from the death. Word about that spread everywhere, and people were excited. In the end, the thing I think I most want you to understand about prayer is that It's all about our relationship with our Father. It's about connecting with our amazingly awesome God. In fact, even now as we worship here in the middle of December, right, we can't help but be reminded it was in his own time, in his own way, in his own power, for his own purpose that he sent us Jesus in the first place. And in every way through him, tried once and for all to show us that we matter. Tried to show us how much he loves us tried to show us that he's real and there and cares and is powerful and wants us to be with him in heaven. And he did this so that not only would we know that we're forgiven, and by the way, that's the big deal. It reconciles our relationship with him. It gives us entrance into heaven. But that also that we're truly cared for and loved by an amazing God, even now in this life. And no matter how crazy our lives get, that he's there for us to come and spend time with him. That no matter how much we feel out of control, that he is always in control and working things for our good. That no matter how hopeless things seem, that he is the author of hope for a better tomorrow. And that his own time and his own way and his own power and according to his own purpose, he's working all things for the good in your life because you love him. My prayer is somehow that those truths would get past some of the hardness of our hearts, that somehow we would embrace those as realities and that they give us some hope this Christmas and to be fair each day after. Go with that encouragement today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. In fact, we thank you just for Christmas. We thank you for this time of year that it just refocuses us on how much you care about us and how much you love us, that you weren't willing to let us go to our destruction, so you sent us your son. We think of Jesus as a baby in a manger, but it's just evidence, Lord, of your love for us. It is evidence, Lord, that we matter to you. And it was the way, Lord, that you chose to reconcile us to you. So we thank you today for Jesus, and let us have him as the primary thought in our heart as we go through the rest of this Christmas season. And Father, we pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.